Welcome back to the Greenwood and Milner podcast. I'm here with Sam. Sam, it's Gary Wilson today. And I think there was this interview could have been so different if a practical joke might have uh, basically the pun came to fruition, wouldn't it? I was very close to being a victim. Very close. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine, Mr. Anthony Heathcote, I was going to, you know, I'm going to name and shame him. Um, he has a mutual friend of Gary Wilson's. So he got in touch with Gary and um, and also some members of my family. And he he tried <laughs> to get baby photos of me for Gary to send to Gary, Gary to print them off and Gary to stick them in the background <laughs> when, when we logged in to uh, on the live stream to <laughs> uh, and then failing that luckily my mother is well trained so me and knows what Anthony's like so she told him to swivel so he then <laughs> tried to contact um we're on the same darts team which I captain uh eight league titles in nine years who's counting me no, um, so, uh, yeah, he then tried to get them and tried to get pictures of us when we've been out on the Raz and playing darts and various presentation evenings. Managed to get hold of them photos, but fortunately, Gary doesn't have a printer. So I got spared. I got spared, thankfully. Thankfully, because um, that um, that would have effed me up completely. But um, you've had experience with Gary Wilson before, haven't you, Johnny? He's been in your restaurant. Not my restaurant personally, but the one the restaurant that I work at. Uh, I'm not going to say for other reasons, but uh, yeah, when, it was actually just after, <laughs> that's a clue. No, so it was just after um, Gary had reached the semi finals the year before, and he touches on about the, the fantastic run he had. And I thought I recognized this bloke, he was with his, with his partner as well at, at the time. And I was thinking, who is I, I know who that bloke is, and it just, it just clicked. I was like, it's Gary Wilson, listen to a player because I just literally just watched him play. Obviously, against the likes of Selby, uh, Ali Carter, and then obviously losing to Judd Trump. But I thought he gave Trump his toughest game in the whole tournament. And I think I just have to say something. I said, oh, well done in reaching the semi-finals. And I was like, oh, and he was like, oh, thanks very much. I think he was kind of like surprised because I think he was still relatively unknown. I think if you, unless you were a big snooker fan, which I have been for years, I've been a snooker fan for about 15, 16 years, then it's going to be something that, ooh, I didn't think, I didn't think people actually watched it people knew who I was. So I think he was quite taken aback. But it was, um, yeah, he didn't obviously know about it, but he's, I think his missus, who was kind of like in the background, she kind of knew a little bit about it. But I think it was like the first time they went out after all the snooker had happened. So it was very, very, um, I think probably strange for him, but really good for me. But uh, to be fair, it's not the first time I've seen like like sports people, like local sports people. Like there has been quite a few Newcastle players that have come into the restaurant that I work at. Uh, I work at and it, it, the feeling still is like, oh my god, that, that person's here, but now it's getting to the stage, oh, such and such is here. So Especially yeah. after interviewing all these great guests as well, it's just second nature. That's what we do. It's, it's you know, we're a big deal now. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. We've had the likes of Steve Harmison, which you've seen before, the likes of Callum Ritz and Chris Dobie, now Gary Wilson, and there's more to come, which obviously which will be released in, um, in, in due course, I suppose. But Gary Wilson was obviously talking about his snooker career. He was talking about the fact that he was trying to qualify for the World Snooker Championships. Um, unfortunately, he didn't manage to do so. But again, world number 19, Sam, similar to Chris and obviously different sports, but they're just off the top 16. If they can get into the top 16 and stay there, they're going to be in every yeah. big tournament. 
I've got a horrible feeling we're starting to jinx our guests because we have Chris not. on talking about when he qualifies for the match play. He didn't. And then we have, <laughs> we've got Gary Wilson and we talk about when he's going to qualify for the Crucible and he didn't. So I'm hoping that's nothing to do with us, more sort of circumstantial stuff, not not me and you jinxing people because otherwise we're going to struggle to book people from now on. <laughs> well, we've obviously got a couple of entertainers along in the next few weeks, and I don't think they've applied for any jobs. They've got very good jobs, especially uh, Warren Barton. That's a little bit of a spoiler for you. But, um, yeah, he's been waiting for Foxport, so hopefully he can keep his job. <laughs> and then we're definitely not going to be jinxed from now on. But um, in terms of the Newcastle side of it, we've just lost 5-0 to Manchester City, Sam. And Gary was talking about the fact that it's been a long, tough season, but a probably an average season for Newcastle now. The fact that we've just stayed up really quite comfortably in the end, but he's a big Newcastle fan, and that's what we're going to try and get on the, on the show. Big Newcastle fans that have a passion for the football club, but also have done well for themselves. Yeah, he he, he said at the end, um, spoiler alert, that it was just nice to have an interview where he didn't just have to talk about snooker, because, you know, our guests like ourselves are just Newcastle mad, aren't they? So, it was it's a shame it was after such a horrendous defeat and horrendous performance, but, you know, that's part and parcel of being a Newcastle fan in 2020, I'm afraid. But uh, yeah, he, he was great to talk to, really nice guy. And um, hopefully, once all this mess is finished of lockdowns and localised lockdowns, and th- when we start to get back to normal, we can go up to uh, his local snooker club and talk to him properly. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to, we'll have to give him a frame. I think it was maybe 146 head start, but we'll give him a frame anyway. Uh, Sam, just before let people enjoy this podcast where can they get their bf52 supplies because i think you're on your fifth case aren't you uh fifth case is on its way and i've just taken up the option to add two extra cans for free so i've now got 10 cans coming this month so i cannot wait for that but for your free introductory offer for eight cans of ipas stouts lagers whatever tickles you fancy head on over to beer 52 dot com forward slash nftv and you get a free case of beer just pay for postage which is 5.95 and start your beer subscription today of course you would love to start your beer subscription with beer52.com forward slash nftv uh, before we let you enjoy this podcast um, if you have any guests that you'd like to see us bring on to the show message us you can contact us on all our socials on newcastle fans tv Keep it realistic we're not going to get Tony, I don't know why. Why the first oh. one that mine was Tony Blair? I mean, he's a Newcastle fan, but I, I, I think he's probably got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> but he watches the Green with a Bull on the show. I know that. I know that he must watch it. Yeah, I'm hearing you. I know he does. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. So this is we've we've done all our episodes for series one. We're going to have a little bit of a breather, let all the episodes catch up, and then we're going to go into series two. So if you have any guests in mind, contact us on NFTV on all our socials: Facebook, Twitter. Instagram and of course on YouTube if you want to speak to us personally we also have our own individual Twitter handles which we can uh, put at the end maybe with mine's at jgreamer22 and Sam yours is at at Sam Mulliner so there you go if you want to speak to us directly you're more than welcome to do so but yeah let's try and enjoy the Gary Wilson podcast and yeah take it away Gary the green one and Mulliner show Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Milner show. 
It is episode four. We've got a fourth episode, Sam. We're doing all right at the minute. Uh, and we've got our first ever snooker player on the Green Memorial on the show. It is the world number 19. It is Gary Wilson. Gary, how are you tonight? All right, hi. Thanks very much for having us on. It's a pleasure. No problem at all. Sam, it's, it's good to have a bit of variety, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, it's great. I mean, who would have thought myself and Gary have a mutual acquaintance? I mean, I've narrowly avoided a, a heavy practical joke, courtesy of uh, <laughs> Mr. Anthony Heathcote and a few accomplices. But uh, fortunately, we can just crack on and talk about snooker and uh, the tune. Never mind any 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 silliness. <laughs> well, we might tell that story a little bit later on. But yeah, if you've got any yeah. questions... All comments, obviously, on live on YouTube, all sorts. Just get your comments and get your questions in for Gary. It can be Snooker, it can be Newcastle, it can be anything. We'll get them in uh, throughout the, the show tonight. Um, Gary, how has everything been? Because, obviously, three months, four months, seems a long time in the world. And, obviously, lockdown has been very, very difficult. Um, how, how is the family? Is everything okay at the minute? Yeah, um, it's it's fine, but it's been it's been a bit tough. In all honesty, just with we've got actually building work going on in the house. Um, we've had an extension going on for quite a while now. So I actually done an interview yesterday uh, with World Snooker, and I said similar things about the fact it's actually been pretty good to just be off the snooker a little bit and just concentrate on the house because it's uh, it's stressful enough, you know. And I kind of feel like I need to be here and keep an eye on things and stuff, you know. So it's actually been good just to sort of work my way through that and not have too much snooker to think of but obviously now the qualifiers are coming up for the world championships again so i need to try and shift my focus again and knuckle down for that when have you maybe practice a little bit more than you would do is it has it been a, is there a cut off point or was it just when the date was announced that the qualifying tournaments were coming up for the worlds uh i i guess when you it's like any, any of the tournaments when you know when the date is you sort of straight away in your head you get into gear for like getting ready for it um but I mean, I've, I've still been, I've been playing quite a bit, but I'm still not like quite as focused as what I know I should be. Um, there's still a lot on my mind with the house and stuff. So I just want to get a lot of that out of the way as quickly as possible over the next few days um, and week. And then just with the last week or, week or two to go before the qualifying, I just want to really try and knuckle down now and get some proper hard practice in, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, we'll touch about that World Championship last uh, last year, which seems, like I say, it's just over a year ago now, but... What a memorable uh, run it was for you in that tournament. But Sam, obviously, when you we've talked about Chris Dobie, Chris Dobie's ironically the same sort of ranking, but in darts. To yeah. get to that sort of level, you've got to be so consistent. And we'll talk about Gary's road to kind of get to where he is now because it's it, it's been a tough road. It's dedication to the highest point, isn't it, Sam? Well, with the Hearns doing both the snooker and the darts now, it's relentless. The, the, the obviously, it's a bit different with what's been happening in the world lately, but Every every week there seems to be a new snooker tournament starting now, and whether it's on ITV4 or Eurosport. So great if you're a fan, but it must take its toll on the uh, on the players with all the travelling and whatnot. But it's, it's it's relentless. Same as same as um, Chris in the darts. It's 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 a full time job. It's it is absolutely relentless. But Gary's got some practice to do because he's got to go two better than last year. <laughs> that would well, be nice. Yeah, that would be very that, nice. I was going to say because. We're, we're, it's it's difficult because everyone's probably looking at you now, Gary, and we'll obviously touch about the run the run of the World Championship last year. But semi finalist, like just very briefly, it's just it's an incredible achievement when you you look at all the graph that you put in in the last say I'll say probably since two thousand thirteen, maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it is obviously it's it it felt last year like sort of I wished I I hoped I was capable of doing that before then, you know, and I, 
it didn't really come as a surprise to us deep down. It was it was more like um like I say, I felt I felt I should have done it a while ago. Maybe he's not got that far or or anything like that in particular, but I, I do feel I'm capable of winning a tournament or getting deep into tournaments, you know. So it wasn't like a surprise to us, but I just wanted to to keep going for as long as possible, you know. And I did actually funnily enough, even though I didn't feel like I was playing at my best, I was playing okay and I did actually feel like I could compete and had a chance of winning it. That's how I felt deep down, you know, if I could have just got through that game against Judd, I fancied my chances, obviously, getting that far. I thought, there's no reason why I can't win this, even if I don't play at my absolute best, you know? Yeah, you can probably get the first piece of silver back in Newcastle in God knows how long anyway. That would, be, that would have been very good. It would have been well. nice for me, first tournament win, wouldn't it, to be the world champion? That would have been unbelievable. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah I mean, it was just a great experience anyway, and it is such a long time ago now, really, when you think about it. It's over a year ago, so... I don't sort of think about it like maybe some might where they think, oh, they'll be expecting us to do well again. Every tournament's different, you know. In any sport, it's you can you can have you can do really well in one tournament and get beat first round to someone who you may not expect to lose to in the next. So, yeah, I'll just take every tournament as it comes and um, just try my best. Yeah, for sure. Sam, have you ever played snooker before? Uh, once in my. Uh, no, in short, no. I don't think it, it is. It, it does draw a lot of co- parallels between darts and whatnot, the snooker, because the guys on telly just make it look so easy. Then you get down to a, your local club or wherever. It's impossible to, to string a break together. My God. It, it's, I don't know. Nothing like, cool. <laughs> Nothing like cool, is it? A lot of people. Are no. Pool, pool's a simpleton's game, really. You, <laughs> anyone, anyone can play pool. So, you know, that, that's not big real. Money there. In, there's big money in pool, the That's the thing. It's ridiculous. You see that on, on the tell you, on Sky in particular. That's always on. But uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to say, say the least. The reason why I ask you that, Sam, is because I'm, I just want Gary to confirm this, whether your first century was when you were nine years old. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I started playing when I was eight, and I'd had a, I had my first century when I was nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, Sam, that's like 40 years, 40 years ago nearly, isn't it, for you? Or 35, something like that? <laughs> <laughs> this could happen every week. Yeah, four years. No, but to me, that, that, that's, in, that's incredible, that, Gary. Like, a century break. Like, I've I, I played a little bit of snow. I have played, I played for a few years. My highs are 47. But that's yeah. me playing. That was me playing maybe two or three times a week regularly. You would take the nine-year-olds, pick up well, a queue I mean, for a year. Well, I, That's incredible. I'd have me practice on my four-foot by two-foot table when I was like <laughs> three, four, five, six, seven-year-old. So I'd had yeah. all that years of practice on that. But no, I didn't play full-size tables until I was eight years old. And then, uh, yeah, it was just me and my dad. And I can't, remember, I can't even remember who it was against. Uh, I've got a funny feeling it was a lad called Peter Richmond. He used to play in, um, in our local club, Walls End Super Snooker, when... Stan Chambers used to do the coaching sessions every Saturday yeah. morning, and um, I used to play with him. He was like, he was a pretty good player as well. And I used to stay behind after the coaching and play with him all day Saturday afternoon. And I'm sure it was against him. It was like it was a hundred and two break. I remember it. Um, yeah. yeah, we used to we used to play like ridiculous amounts of frames on a Saturday. It would be like and keep a tally. It would be like one hundred and five seventy two and stuff. We'd just keep a tally of the frame scores. Unbelievable. It was some fantastic. Um, like I, I was looking through all the like kind of stuff that you achieved, especially when you were like really young. Like you managed to appear on the, the BBC's the Junior Big Break. Obviously, Big Break was such a a huge thing in the. I think it was at the early nineties, like mid nineties, something like that. And you had the likes of obviously yeah. 
John Virgo was obviously hosting it with uh, was it Jim Davidson as well, and then you had yeah. you had the pros and obviously the Willie Thorne got obviously the late Willie Thorne obviously um, he obviously just passed away very sadly. Um, he was involved. Did you did you manage? What did you can can you remember anything from that? I know you must have been quite young, yeah, but bits, was it was it yeah, good? Yeah, like I, I I was nine when I went on that. It, again, it was all through Stan Chambers. Really, I don't know if you're aware of Stan, but he's like basically he's the biggest ambassador for snooker in the northeast. You've you've ever seen he's, I love him to bits and he, he was my coach when I was younger um, and he's, he's still doing okay now um, he's 80 odd year old now you know but he, he basically yeah. got me he got me into things when we were, when I was younger he got us on a junior big break really sort of asked the questions and got us on there and I remember bits and bobs about it yeah like the players that were on as well there was likes of Paul Hunter and Michael Holt and um, David Gray if you remember him there was a lot of like Good, good professionals on at the time. They were around sort of 15, 16. Sean Murphy was on. Um, but I was only nine years old at the time. So good. I've got good memories of it. Yeah, I was on like three times when I was um, nine, 11 and 12. So it was it was a shame the show stopped, to be honest. It was a great show. And I, yeah. I, wish, it, I wish it would make a comeback in some way, really. You see a lot of like, I've, I've, obviously there was Bullseye on last week on ITV when you, you see that kind of being put together i think it could i think it could work with this thing. i really could you could do it with big break you might have to i don't know if jim davidson will be allowed to um present on the bbc once <laughs> more, but but you never know you could still get john virgo and get someone like i don't know you could, i'll throw it out there you could potentially get like a jason manford or somebody with a bit of a comedian who's working with bbc before i definitely think it can work because um they've brought so many shows back recently that there's no reason i don't think why big break couldn't come back and be really successful it, it was really really popular sam wasn't it because like you had the be- like the best snooker players, and obviously it was there with the obviously the uh, the the contestants, but it was it was a very it was a ridiculous standard of snooker, and it was like an exhibition. Let's be brutally honest, but it was very very good watch on the television. Cracking, brilliant show. What was it? Prime time Saturday evening, wasn't it? After after grandstand had finished, before the generation game had come on. I mean, this is Saturday night around my grandparents' house. <laughs> Yeah, but there, there's like Gary said, there's loads of things that have been brought brought back, and definitely Big Break would have a, a newfound relevance. I think it'd definitely be worth bringing back. Great fun. I think yeah. it's only a matter of time, in all honesty, that some kind of show like that, if it's not Big Break, something like it will come about because the game's mm. getting even more popular. Um, I just think it's it, it'll not be too long before there's a show like that. Definitely, I think it, I think it will bound to happen whether it'll be on whatever channel, but or something. It might be like a newish format. They might try and make an up uh, up to date or more modern kind of uh, yeah. game show. But it, I think, if, like I say, I, I was just listening to something that Stephen Hendry put on a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, a hundred thousand people were watching snooker at one o'clock in the morning when they uh, had the tournament for Milton Keynes not long ago, and you just think that's incredible at one o'clock in the morning. No, there hasn't been a lot of snooker on the television, Gary, but to get that sort of viewing figures, and I think they got half a million at one point during the tournament. It's incredible viewing figures considering what we've been through. Yeah, it's it's really it's really 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 popular again. I mean, obviously there was the boom in the eighties, and it was it sort of slackened off towards the end of the end of the nineties and. There was about a ten-year period, really, where it was it was doing okay, but the money was sapping out of the game. And then about ten years ago, it started lifting again. I think it's at a point now where it's, I mean, viewing figures-wise, uh, more successful. But just just the general popularity of the game, I think, pretty much like it was in the eighties. Now it's it's so popular now compared to what it has been. So I just think it can only be it can only get better. 
Yeah, for sure. For one four sevens, everyone obviously, you, everyone if you look, if you watch snooker, that is like the nine dart are in dart. It's the hole in one in golf. I thought there's there has been that question. Like I've 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 had this debate with some of my friends where what's hardest to do a hole in one, one four seven or a nine dart? And I always say the one four seven. And the reason why, and I know you've had a couple, Gary, um, obviously through on, on proper like obviously on real tournaments. I'm sure you've had loads yeah. in practice as well, but. There's so many shots, and even if, slightly, if something goes slightly wrong and you've got a harder shot, I think that's so much more difficult to do than, yes, a nine dot is a lot of skill and a lot of practice, and a hole in one. You could get a lucky bounce that'll just take it towards the flag and take it towards the hole. You've got to be so consistent in a one four seven. How does it actually feel when you actually achieve that for the first time? Um, I'm trying to think when I did. Uh, I had my first one, I think, when it's I was... Probably 10. <laughs> well, actually, on me, on me own, I had my first one when I was eleven. Um, just not playing anybody, but like oh, on me own. Uh, yeah, and then against somebody, it actually took us quite a while. I think I was about fourteen until I had like one against someone in a practice frame, you know. So it felt amazing that when I done it against somebody in the club. Um, but yeah, in terms of it, like with a nine daughter and the hole in one, what I would say with a nine daughter is it is nine shots, basically, yeah. and. With snooker, it's what thirty-six shots consecutively. You've got to get right. You can say that you know you've got to get everything right in the nine dart. You know you've got to hit that exact target, but at the same time with snooker, you've got you've got to get on that that exact ball, that colour, the black every time. You know, so I, I personally, and I'm not just saying it because I'm biased. I think a one-four-seven is harder than the others. Um, it's thirty-six consecutive shots, and yeah, you can land on a different red, but you've got to make sure you can get back on the black again. You've got to pot every ball, haven't you? So, yeah, I'm going to swear to the one-four-seven, like definitely harder. <laughs> Sam, where do you come in this debate? Do you agree with Gary? Do you go with the one-four-seven, or do you think maybe even a hole in one, maybe? No, hundred percent, I agree. It's the one-four-seven, and if anything, I'd be I'd be biased towards darts and the nine dart. But if I can get seven out of nine, then it can't be that hard. But um, yeah, <laughs> every time it's it's just. Well, I think snooker's be... a harder a harder game than darts. I, start, I haven't brought golf into it. I know, but golf and snooker for me are the two hardest sports that I've seen. Um, it's the similar kind of sports in a way that they're very technical. Um, yeah. You've got to keep still on your shot. You've got to have a great technique. And the only difference I would say, and again, me being biased, where I think snooker pips it slightly, is because, well. I was gonna say I was gonna say snooker pips it slightly because I just think it's a bit harder. But actually, in one in one respect, I'm going towards golf as well because you're not in <laughs> golf. You're not you're not just playing one opponent. In golf, you're playing the whole field. So yeah. to win a tournament, you've got to beat everybody. Whereas in snooker, because it's a knockout format, you're generally having to beat just whoever's in front of you, and you don't necessarily have to play that well. You can, yeah, you can win a tournament not even playing great. In golf, you've got to beat everybody, so you're not going to win that tournament unless you're playing very well. So yeah, it's it's a toss up for me between snooker and golf on which is hardest. But yeah, I, I still think the one four seven is harder than a hole in one or a nine daughter. I also think you have to you're, you're almost playing against yourself mentally because yeah. really, you, like obviously golf. Like I played golf this morning, and you can get so frustrated if you have a bad shot. It's the same with snooker. You know, one sort of shot, and I'm sure maybe for example, Gary, when you're on say you split the reds and you're on, I say, a 40-50 break and you know you can't miss because these players now, even say, for example, you the six reds on the table and you say you're 67 ahead and you miss that colour, yeah. you always think in the back of your mind yeah, there's a good chance he's going to keep and get a 70-yard break. Yeah, if you've got the balls at a, at a point where you've, you've split them open, 
and basically everything's there. Yeah, you can't miss because it's not hard to make, you know, the standard. It's not hard to put six, seven reds and colours and all the colours and, and, and win the frame. 60-point leads, nothing if the balls are in the right place. But just what you were saying there, um, that's that's the other side of it as well, though, where if you're playing, when you're playing snooker, if you make a bad shot, obviously you're sitting in your chair and you can't do a single thing about it. At least in golf, if you play a bad shot, it's your shot next. You can mm. you can always recover from your bad shots at golf because you're just playing against yourself effectively. Um, in snooker, you've got to sit there and it might be fit 10, 15 minutes. You might not get a shot for <laughs> and there's nothing, there's not a single thing you can do about it but sit and watch. Yeah, it is tough, Sam. Like, like you, you obviously we've spoke privately, and you you do your golf and your darts and everything. But the mental aspect of it is 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 difficult. But I completely agree with what Gary says. You, you you've just got to try and forget about it and just say, right, what can I do? What can I do next? If I get a chance, just got to take it. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And like you say, with, with golf, you know, it's up to you to get yourself out of the mess and. Same as in darts, you still, you, you know, you still might get a, a shot at double, but snooker, like you say, if you, one mistake and you're sat on your ass for 20 minutes watching the other guy clear up. So it is, I, I, I do think snooker is the hardest, if, well, one, definitely one of, if not the hardest. There was a question there, Gary, from uh, Mickey. Uh, it was basically saying, is Rocket Ronnie the man? I'll rephrase the question a little bit. Is he the greatest player of all time? Because obviously there's the argument with Hendry, you could throw Davis, even John Higgins to the equation, but has is Ronnie O'Sullivan the best of, of all time? Without a doubt, in, in my eyes. Um, it, obviously, this question is asked numerous times with all sorts of people, and I guess the way you look at it is what exactly does someone mean when they're asking other the greatest? Do they mean that they're the best, the most gifted player? Do they mean that they're the best, they're the best winner? Have they got the best attitude? You know, you can break it down into so many different ways. But for me, when I'm I, when I'm asked that question, you just got to take it. Who who can actually play the game to a standard better than anybody else? And it is Ronnie. It's as simple as that. Uh, Henry was an unbelievable winner, and he was an unbelievable player, obviously as well. But Ronnie pips him in just all round talent, and just there's no comparison really between the two when it comes to out and out talent. Um, that, that, for me, means he's the greatest. And he's only starting to prove it in the last number of years by winning more tournaments. That You know, five world titles instead of seven, it's still a, it's still a lot. He's, he's won yeah. just as many ranking tournaments. He's lasted longer than Stephen has. I'm a massive fan of Stephen. Stephen's basically my hero. Actually, I aspire to be like Stephen Hendry when I was growing up, you know. But facts are facts. And Ron, Ronnie is the greatest ever player. Um, the others don't really come into it. Higgins is a great, great player. Steve Davis, again, I love him, he's, but he's not hes not one of the greatest at all. He, he had his era, and you could see when he was tailing off in the 90s, he just wasn't quite at that level. You know, the game got took on to a new level by Hendry, and then also Ronnie and that as well. So, yeah, for me, it was the only debate possibly was between Ronnie and Hendry, but Ronnie for me all day long. Ronnie Fury. That was actually coming to my next, my next point, because I was going to talk about your debut in the World Championship. I've also got a couple of other tournaments I want to talk to you about, but that first game at the Crucible, against Ronnie, all the cameras yeah. will be watching. Obviously, it'll be the main game on BBC and Eurosport and all their eyes are on you and Ronnie. And to be honest with you, like, you're 5-1 down at one point. You've got it back to 5-4 after the first session. Did you feel after maybe a couple of frames, you just think, well, everyone's expecting Ronnie to win. Let's just showcase what I can do. This is my first time at the Crucible. It's something I've always dreamed of. I'm going to show, what, I'm going to show everybody what, what I can bring to the table, literally. 
Well, I, I, I hoped to feel that way at the start, to be honest. Like, <laughs> you know, it, you, don't sort of, you don't sort of get through halfway through a match and think, oh, I just want to, I, I now want to show them what I can do. You, you're obviously thinking that from the beginning, but it just didn't pan out very well. Um, I actually felt comfortable. And that's the one thing players hope for, you know, your debut at the Crucible or something like that. You just hope that you're going to, the first frame or two, you're going to settle and you're going to feel comfortable and you're going to feel like you can actually play your game in that arena. And I did feel that way, to be honest, after a couple of frames. The first frame, I remember being a, obviously a bit apprehensive, just hoping that I could just not embarrass myself, just start, get off to a decent start, you know. Once the first frame or two was out of the way, though, I actually felt comfortable and I could imagine myself playing well. Um, it just didn't happen for, like you say, the first six frames. Um, but then I felt like I played okay for a few. And to bring it back to 5-4 going into the second session, I felt comfortable then. I thought, right, you know Bring it! I'm gonna have a good, I'm gonna have a good go at you tonight, and uh, it just uh, I just didn't play quite well enough though in that game, and he just sort of slowly crept further and further ahead. Um, I did have a couple of centuries, and I played all right, but it wasn't a bad debut to be honest. Too, I think it was ten seven, so yeah. it, it wasn't a bad loss with me debut at the Crucible. So, and I, I, I performed okay. I didn't embarrass myself in any way really. So that was I was sort of quite proud of that, but knew that if I got back again, then the first thing I wanted to do was win because. You don't want to keep going there if you're a qualifier and not winning your first round match. You don't want to start getting like a habit of that because it can be a hard thing to then try and do and winning your first game at the Crucible if you've been losing all the time, you know. So I was glad I'd done that when I got there again. Yeah, it is. It is one of those. It's one of those games that you'll not you'll not forget in a, in a lifetime. You know, no, your Crucible debut. Not. Is it? Is it the yeah, home of Snoop? Yeah, it's a great joy. Like you seen James Cahill just last year getting the getting the, the, the probably the biggest win of his career up to date. When you look yeah. at when you look at the Crucible now, is it, should it still be played at the Crucible, the World Championship, or do you feel like it, the venue's not big enough anymore? For example, oh no, definitely hundred percent for me. That, that's the home. That that's where it should be played. Um, I know what you're saying. It it does only hold just over a th- uh, just under a thousand people. Which isn't a massive amount, but in in snooker, I think it's enough. If you start getting, you've got the bigger venues. You used to have the Wembley Conference Centre years ago, which was like two and a half, three thousand people. You've got the Tempodrome now in Berlin for the German Masters. That holds two and a half thousand. But to be honest, the crowd are so far away. I mean, I've I've seen it from both sides. I've been in the crowd actually last year when we were there and watching watching Elliot Slessor's game. Um, and if you if you're right near the back, you you can hardly see. You need your binoculars to actually see the game properly. And I just think for snooker, the Crucible's perfect. A thousand people is just about right, and it's not too far away. And plus, I like it more when you've got the crowd so close to the table. There's some venues where even the front row, they're so far back, you don't need all that space in between, you know, whereas at the Crucible, they're virtually on top of you. And I think I think it's much better. Like I don't think it should ever move away from there. Yeah. Sam, where do you th- what, what would you say in this conversation? Do you think that it's just to stay at the Crucible for as long as it physically can? Absolutely. I'm a big um, believer in like tradition and it's just one of the most iconic venues in British like sport really. Same as um, what the lakeside was to dark and it absolutely stay at the crucible. It's it's iconic, it really is. It's like Wimbledon at tennis and all yeah. it's the same thing. Like you, you, you there's if there's no need to move it, just keep it there. It's it's absolutely fine the way it is and nothing needs to change as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. I, I I want to talk a little bit about. Um, obviously, you, you didn't. You, you jumped off the two. You, you came off the tour for a few years, Gary, and you got your card yeah. back. Did that just? Do you know that determination that we're talking about before? The fact that you managed to, you know, accomplish so many big things. 
did maybe in your younger years, for example, did that spur you on to get that card back? Because there were so many times you were quite close, especially just after like just after 2010 onwards. But did you feel maybe in 2013 you were ready and you feel like you were going to be more consistent in the, against the you know the top names really? Uh, it it wasn't sort of like that. It wasn't it, for me. It wasn't sort of like oh, I feel like I'm I'm ready now and I'm good enough. I, I felt good enough for a long time. I just I just struggled for quite a few years with my game, and I struggled just to get back on the tour. Like I, I was still the same player, and it it was almost worse because of like you were saying as a junior growing up, even from the ages of like eleven, twelve, I was winning junior tournaments around the country. I was I was used to winning, and I was used to being like one of the best players in my you know in my age groups and stuff you know and it, when i turned professional the first time when i was 18 then i felt ready to do some damage then um i started off okay and then the second year i, I, I didn't really get many results and there was only six tournaments a year at that point as well and i only dropped off as it happened by one one match i lost the world championship qualifier and uh, that's what knocked us off the tour and i thought i thought deep down even though i was struggling that i would i would get back on within a year or two I didn't think it was going to be like the way it panned out where I was off the tour for like, I think it was about six or seven years nearly. Yeah. Just in the wilderness, just doing nothing and like trying to obviously qualify in um, the, the, the Pontins, Pontins International Open Series, which was a way of getting on at the time. There was the challenge to her. It was like the replacement of the challenge to her basically. And I kept missing out. There was like, say it was the top eight spots to get on. I was maybe finishing 11th or 15th or 10th. Or, and I just kept missing out every year. And just it was just getting worse and worse, and my confidence was getting more and more drained. Obviously, started working and stuff, and then eventually, when I got back on, it was when it, like it was when Barry Hearn was just starting to take over, and there was more yeah. and more tournaments coming in into play, and there was the the PTCs that they used to run, um, and that's how I got back on. Actually, I just felt the more tournaments I had to play, and the more chance I had to prove myself that I could actually I was capable of doing it. Um, and I was just over the moon to get back on, just the way the game was going with all the tournaments again, yeah. But it was it took a lot longer to get back, turn professional than what I thought it was going to take. In all honesty, I look obviously you look at your stats and you look at your history, and it was I'm looking at the China Open in 2015 where you got to the final and you were beaten on the on the in the final by Mark Selby, but you picked up some fantastic wins. And I'm looking obviously Liang Wenbo in the first round. You also had Ricky Walden, uh, Dejo Pumajang, but Maybe the Ding Zhengwei match is probably one match. I, I I think I can actually remember the game slightly because it was six five to yourself. But you didn't didn't Ding need a couple of snookers in that final frame? Uh, he needed he needed about four, I think. Yeah. Um, I I had a I didn't have a meltdown, but I I saw I nearly started having a bit of a meltdown. He got a few back as well, and uh, it must have been about four or five snookers he needed. And it, it, I remember I remember one of the last ones he's got is in a great snooker, and I've. All I've got to do to avoid leaving him a free ball, and basically I can't lose, is just play it a certain way off a couple of cushions and make sure that the white lands near the black cushion where the red is. Even if I miss the red, I can't leave him a free ball. I've come off the first cushion and the white's just squared off the cushion so much that it's it's came off the cushion at a completely different angle and I've ended up leaving him a free ball. I'm nowhere near the red and I thought, wow. oh no. And I thought, like, I was... That that was when the butterflies really kicked in. I thought I'd won. I was, like, forcing you guys to get into my first final as well. Luckily, he only got he only got enough to um, I think he got enough to tie, but yeah. I managed to pop red or something. Yeah, but 
Yeah, my heart was in my mouth for a bit there, like because I would have been. I think I probably would have snapped my queue if I'd have lost that game. From there. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny though, but you, I, I think it was after your quarterfinal game, or it might have been the semi-final against thing, where you said, "I don't think I'm really playing that well," or "I don't feel like I'm playing to that that ability of making finals," which I think is quite a strange comment, Sam. I'll let Gary talk about it in a second, but. Do you think that's maybe a strange comment when you when you've beaten some big names and Ding obviously a massive massive favourite if we're be, if we're if we're putting the if we're calling a spade a spade and he he, he got over that line which is still strange to hear I think yeah. just in my opinion it's like any sport though isn't it I mean look at Newcastle this season they've beaten Man United Chelsea Tottenham they played well they <laughs> played well at all results I think it is the same. In most sport, isn't it? You can you can do what you got to do and scrape through, but you in your in your heart of hearts, you think, "Well, I can do that better." Now. I can improve. Gary, what yeah, would you say to a, that comments? There's an entirely different thing between winning and performing well. They, they don't go hand in hand, you know. And you can get through and get results if you know if you if you've got a bit of brain and you know what you're doing, and you can you can scrape together. I mean, Mark Selby's one of the best at that massively him and John Higgins I mean Mark Selby hasn't played well for God knows how long and he can still win tournaments and he can still he's still where he is in the world because he, he he's capable of doing that in that tournament in China I felt like I was scoring heavy but there was other parts of my game that just weren't really there but I was I was relying on the fact that the frames panned out in such a way that I didn't have to play them sort of shots and I didn't I didn't have to worry about it you know if I could just get in and score I knew I could score heavy and the, as long as you tick the frames on the board that's all that counts. If I get the six before Ding does, that was all that matters, you know. So, yeah, there's a difference between playing well and, and, and winning. But I, I played okay. Um, I actually felt I played better at the World Championships probably, though, last year. Um, but, I, yeah, it's a funny one. I, I wish I could just get the consistency in all parts of my game. Um, I'm still struggling for that at, at the moment. So, I would like to try and get them little bits, like I say, a bit more consistent and I can hopefully get the like, semis and finals a bit more often. I'm sure you will if you keep on playing like you did last year, which we'll, we'll touch on about now. Um, it, it, what a run. Let's, let's put it out there. What a run. And There was no easy games at all. And you look at the first round match against Luca Brassel, Gary, 10-9. It, it has, that's, that's the crucible written all over it, isn't it? Um, did, you, did you feel nervous? Like, because it just, in that environment, nine frames all, you're just thinking, I could get to the second round at the Crucible. And you've, you've and then you can kind of relax after that because you've won that first match. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say I felt nervous. Um, I guess when, in a strange sort of way, when you've been playing for so long and you're, you're almost used to, like, disappointments, you know, you get a lot of mental scars and a lot of games that don't go your way over your career. You, there's certain points in matches where you don't even, you don't even feel nervous anymore. It's not that you don't care but you're kind of treated that way a little bit in the game. You've, you've seen it all before. You, you almost expect something to go wrong and lose, like you have done in the past. So you just you just try your hardest. And I just sort of felt that, like I said before, that because I'd played Ronnie in 2017 there, I didn't want to go back there and lose again. The, all, that last frame was all about just winning. I didn't care how I did it. I just wanted to win that last frame and get through to the second round. There was no, it was no sort of nervous feelings. It was just ultimate determination, to be honest. And it dragged on for like the longest frame in Crucible history. But in all honesty, it wasn't like a bad frame. It was a really good quality frame with good safety play and 
it wasn't like loads of missed chances or anything like that. It was um it was actually a really good frame to be involved in and I didn't know Luca could play that way and he surprised me to be honest, but I was just happy to get that that half chance towards the end and I took it, you know, and I was proud of myself that I did take it. Um if, if them them kinds of little things prove something to yourself that yeah, you know, yeah, you're capable of doing that under the pressure and stuff. So it it was a nice feeling, yeah. John's got a question, which we'll just put, we'll go back onto that run in the World Championship, but I'll get John's question. And do professional players still need coaching? Do you have a coach or do you have someone that's beside you that, that goes around with you around the country? I, I don't. I, I've never been a massive fan. But yeah, to answer that, I would say professional players do still need coaching. Um, I've never really found anything that's right for me up to now. Um, I'm not not to say that I won't. I've, I've I've dabbled in a few things and I've tried a few bits and bobs here and there. But I think you've got to be careful as well as a professional. If you've got that if you've got that far and you're that good, you're doing something right, and you, it's it's being careful not to sort of destroy all that stuff that you've you, that you've done by maybe dabbling in things that you you may you may end up ruining your own game instead of making it better. You know, so yeah, I think as a player you've just got to. You've got to try and be aware of what's right and what's wrong, and it's a tough one because you've got to also put your faith in that coach, whoever you pick, and you've got to you've got to do what they tell you really and, and trust that. So it's it's a really funny area, but professional. There's a lot of professionals that have got coaches. There's um there's a few main ones on the tour. Kerry Kieran Wilson uses uh, Barry Stark. There's a, quite a few players using Chris Henry. Um, so. There's obviously the sight right. Um, that's a big thing at the minute in snooker with Steve Feeney. So there's quite a few players yeah. in, in that camp as well. So it, there's a lot of it. There's a lot more of it going on now than there was as well. Um, Terry Griffiths has been around for years helping players as well. So it is there, but I've just never been a massive fan of it personally. I try and take bits and bobs from all of it, but never really commit to anything 100%. Yeah. Well, let's go back onto this World Championship run. And Sam, Mark Selby, three-time world champion, probably one of the toughest opponents on the circuit. To get over that line, Sam, and I'll let Gary talk about maybe the last few frames in particular in that game, you must have some bottle. And that is what you need for top, top sportsmen, which Gary is obviously with Snigger. To get over that line against an unbelievable opponent, and I have to be honest, when you look at I think it was quite close going at the last session, but from an, from me watching it, Sam, Gary never looked flustered and he always felt in control. What What do you make of that? performance it's the difference between winners and losers at the end of the day isn't it keeping your nerve having the bottle to get over the winning line it was it was a cracking run it was almost like an fa cup fairy tale but uh, well obviously it's kind of like newcastle because it, it halted before picking the trophy up so very apt <laughs> but you know it 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 it's it's a matter of time really before um the silverware starts rolling in i think because Who's going to win something first, me or Newcastle? Who do you think? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll probably say you, Gary. Take over the send off yesterday. After watching yesterday, But, Gary, was that Mark Selby win the biggest win of your career at that point? Or did it go on to be the Ali Carter game after that? Uh, yeah, obviously, at that, at that moment in time, the Selby game was the biggest win. Um I'd say Carter was just just as good, just as good a win because obviously it was to get to the one table set up as well, which was unbelievable. Semi-finals of the World Championships, so both of them really were were just as good as each other. Yeah. When you get to the quarter-final, oh, sorry, the semi-final stage, which you talk about the one table, um, 
it's, it's obviously everybody talks about in jeans, but I remember Stuart Bingham actually getting upset and emotional when he beat Ronnie in the quarterfinals when he won the World Championship because it was the first time he got to the one table setup. Describe yeah. that. Describe that feeling when you announced on. It's you against Judd, and you're thinking, right? It, it must be amazing that you've got like a whole section of arm, like an army of fans on your left or right hand side, depending on where you're sitting on. Yeah, in a, in a way, you, you kind of wish you could step back from yourself and just and look at it from an outsider to take it all in properly and 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 sort of realise it in that way. Because when when you're playing, you're, you're trying to focus on everything you're supposed to be focusing on and trying to concentrate on your game and stuff, and you don't really. Well, I didn't anyway. I didn't sort of. I didn't. I don't think I took it in as much as what I wish I could have done, just because I'm focused on what I'm doing. But when you look back on it, it's obviously it's a really nice thing to look back on. Um, and it was amazing, obviously walking out, getting introduced into that arena, like down the stairs, and just seeing the full arena and just that one table right in the middle. It was unbelievable, and just sitting in the chair for the first time and just realizing how far away you are from the table as well. <laughs> but after that, you sort of you're back into concentrating and just back to, back to the job in hand, you know. And you can't really take it in too much. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Did you did you feel that you could that you could have beaten Judd on another day? Do you think maybe if you had a bit more experience of that one table setup? Because you you were pretty much the closest person to Judd in terms of scoreline, apart from the first round match. Because Higgins didn't really get close to him at all in the final. Did you feel that maybe if you, if you had one more year in terms of having that experience of the, the, the year that you had, you could possibly have overcome him? I think obviously that that does help a little bit. Um, having never been in the one table setup, that would have helped probably for the first few frames. I would say, in all honesty, I felt that after the first few frames, I was settled into the game and it was fine. You know, it was it, it was it's again similar to the twenty seventeen game against Ronnie. That just the first time even being there, the first couple of frames was was a bit jittery and it was just about hoping you settle down and. You know, you can play in that in, in that environment again. But I felt I did that after a few frames. I think I had like a, I think it was a hundred and forty break I had in the second or the third frame. So that really settled us down into the match. Um, I wouldn't say I needed another year to sort of have that experience, but it probably would help a little bit. I just I just felt I didn't quite perform as well as what I hoped. Not for any kind of nervous reasons or experience or anything like that. I just didn't play quite as well. Um, and that's why he won and he deserved it. Um, he played better and better than me on the day. Uh, I do feel like I was capable. Oh, for sure, hundred percent. I, like, I remember watching it and just thinking, if, like I say, if just certain frames, if you can, there's those like frames that could go either way. And instead of maybe seventeen, eleven, it's something like say fifteen, fourteen, and you think, well, yeah, who knows from there on? But I was quite close. All like for the first couple of sessions, I was, I was, I was sticking with them. You know, I think I can't remember the exact scoreline, but I think I was around maybe. 12, 11, 13, 11 or something like that and and then that's when he started pulling away so I, I kept it quite close for the first 20 odd frames you know and I thought if I can just keep with him and I can stay close towards the end of the game I, fan, I fancied my chances you know if I could just put in that a little extra gear and just score that little bit heavier again like I was doing earlier in the tournament I fancied it but when a player of like Judd's class pulls away like three or four frames you, you basically almost know it's curtains you're not really going to get much of a chance then to get back into the game so yeah, you pulled away at the right time and it was just a shame, really. Yeah, well, Jason's got a question there. Which players on the circuit does Gary get on best with uh, off the table? And on the flip side, who does he not get on well with? Well, we'll start with the, the people that you actually do get on with first, if you unless, if you don't want to answer that last bit of the question. But it's a good question, Jason. I like that. Okay, who are your mates on the circuit, Gary? Um, I, I get on with everybody, pretty much. <laughs> good answer. Elliot <laughs> is um, one of the main lads who, like, who's been on the tour quite a while now and 
me and him are good mates, so we we always tend to share like flights and rooms and things at, at tournaments. So there's him, there's David Lilly because he's on the on the tour now. Um, he's always been a local player. Um, I actually practice at the same club as David Lilly as well. So yeah, and Mike Dunn, he's he's due for retirement now though. Unfortunately, I think he's retiring at the end of this season. Um, just the northeast lads, and obviously mainly a lot of players have got their own like little groups, you know. So. Ours has been the the northeast boys mainly, but I get on with also all the players really. There's there's not one that I wouldn't say I didn't get on with. I'll, I'll get on with anyone. Um, yeah, there's dozens more that I speak to and get on with, but they're the main ones like Elliot, David, Mike. You know the northeast lads really. Very good. Right, let's talk football. This is obviously we'll get the they get the career up to date, and now we'll talk about Newcastle United. Obviously, this is what we're about. Newcastle fans TV talking about. A football club that is never never dull, is it, Sam? It's never dull with that, with any team, is it? It's but obviously Newcastle is always a headline. There's always some, some sort of story, isn't there? No, so long as we don't mention last night. Fortunately, we were speaking before we started, and Gary didn't see the game last night, so we're just not going to mention it and pretend it didn't happen. But no. yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's never a dull game. Yeah, uh, right, yeah, Gary. So let's... We would do with Russian, weren't we? So. Yeah, for sure, especially against Man City. And they, they, I think 5 0 flattered us, to be honest, not didn't flatter them. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Steve Bruce then, Gary. Obviously, he came in, ran Rafa left, and I think just came in. It was everyone was deflated when he came in, but he's kept us up. 43 points are on at the minute and four games to go. No real relegation battle at all for Newcastle this season. How do you think he's done this season? Uh, he's done a fantastic job. Um... I don't think anyone can deny that, really. I mean, obviously, a lot of people were sceptical when he came in, thinking, "Oh, Steve Bruce." I mean, that's it's not exactly, it's it's not exactly even on the same level as Rafa. You know, it's, it's certainly not a step up. So everybody was obviously sceptical, but he has. He's done a great job, and I think, I think personally, whatever happens with the club in the next couple of months, I think he should be given a chance to carry on. I think I think I think he's proved that he's he's good enough with what he's had to deal with with the players that he's got and everything as well. I think he's he's proved that he's good enough to at least be given the chance to carry on. Yeah, so I think he's he's done a brilliant brilliant job. Sam, that takeover is always looming, and Gary brings it put put puts Don't the point say I'm sorry, but we have. I didn't to. want to yeah. say word. I mean, I didn't what... want to say takeover. <laughs> <laughs> but what it, is it week fifteen now. I mean, it's crazy that it's still still going on. I mean, the the cans that I bought 15 weeks ago are long out of date. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But fingers crossed, it just eventually does get over the line, and then you know it'll be a fresh beginning, and then we can have something to look forward to again. Because I miss the European nights at St James's Park. There's something special. Um, yeah. Gary, what do you remember of um, kind of like the European days under? Kind of to Bobby and Kevin Keegan in particular, yeah. the, the good old days. Yeah, well, I was quite young. I mean, me supporting Newcastle in my memories goes as far back as the likes of Gavin Peacock, David Kelly. Do you remember all them from the early 90s and stuff? Yeah, as yeah. Well? Um, obviously, then Andy Cole coming into it as well. So, the days I first sort of remember supporting them was when they were getting into the Premier League and doing really well. And it was just really, it, it's really good to be able to have them memories. Like, Obviously, it's it's been horrendous the last 10, 15 years, you know. So, it, to have them years under Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson um, is fantastic. I remember the games like against Liverpool, the 4-3 on Sky Sports when Keegan had his head in his, over the over the boards. And uh, I remember watching it with my dad in the living room, just memories like that, you know. And 
yeah, and then when Bobby came in as well, and it was we had another good run for a few years with, under Sir Bobby. So it was just really nice to have their memories, and then it all just fell apart, didn't it? So <laughs> I hope I hope we can get something like that back again soon. Yeah. What was the best game you've ever been to, Gary? Um, I didn't actually go to many games when I was younger. I went to a lot of the friendlies, and I went to. You know, some of the cup games and that as well. But I, I never had a season ticket or anything like that, but I did always watch the games on telly. Um, like I say, with my dad or whatever when we were in the house and stuff. So I actually remember the Barcelona game quite vividly oh. when, we, when we played them, the Champions League. I was actually on holiday at the time with my mum and dad in um, in Rhodes, Greece. And I remember I remember vividly being in the bar and we were wanting to watch the match and we were having to tell the guy to put the, the football on, please. And he didn't understand a word of what we were saying. And we got it on in the end. Though, and then obviously Tino scored, scored a hat-trick, didn't he? And um, yeah. yeah, it was, it was it fantastic times, yeah. But it's just, like I say, it's just a shame what we've had to be in, what we've had to deal with the last 10, 15 years, really. It's, it's not what... Nobody's expecting to go play Champions League football all the time, but just to have a bit of ambition and just run the club properly to try and try and do something with the team. That's all anybody who's a supporter of Newcastle wants, really. And I think it gets misunderstood quite a lot. Do you think that is a something that the media get wrong sometimes, Gary? Because everyone kind yeah. of portrays Newcastle as over ambitious all the time. Definitely, even when even we're just have the snooker players, even when we're just all having a bit banter about football and stuff, like at the tournaments and that. There's a few players, and I'm not going to name names, but like they, <laughs> they kind of just think that Newcastle supporters expect just because we've got a big fan base and everything, they expect that we think that we're just we're, we should have Champions League football and we should be challenging for the league again, like we did years ago and all that kind of thing. And it, it's not the case at all. We keep having to tell them that. that Obviously, it's it's not exactly realistic to be challenging for the league and stuff, but we at least expect to be in a position with the fan base, the club that we've got, to be sort of challenging up in the top eight, the top six in the league at least, and just trying to trying to do something with the club, not getting to a point where we've had a decent season here or there. We had a good season under Pardew where we finished fifth, and people then thought, all right, we might push on that little bit, and you know, if we can just develop the team a little bit more. We've got a chance to sustain ourselves back near the top eight of the league consistently, you know. Never happened. It was just back again. And we just want a bit of a little bit of ambition. That's all it is, really, just just to do do well with the club. Yeah, I think that is probably the one thing that Sam that a lot of Newcastle fans get frustrated with, especially with the owner with Mike Ashley, is that when there was the chance to be a bit ambitious and to actually improve on what we're what we've had, he hasn't wanted to do that, has he? Yeah, the season that Gary referenced, Tony Depardieu, when we finished fifth, the summer after that was that was the opportune moment to really put put right all the wrongs that Ashley had done in the previous few years. That was that was we had a cracking four of the team: Colatini, Kabai, Ben Arthur, CK, Bar. and all that was bought in that next summer was Vernon Anita. Yeah, that, that was the season that had even, like a half. If you could add a half a dozen good players to that squad that we had in that season, then we could have we could have been potentially saying, right, look, we're set for top six, top eight this season. Let's see what we can do. Let's see where this club can now start going again. And it just never happened. It's, it is very yeah. frustrating no, to say the least. They should. Have, they didn't add to the squad at all because obviously that season as well. We then had the Europa League campaign to balance out. The league and the league form suffered terribly that season. Obviously, we had a good run in the Europa, but the league form was horrendous because the squad wasn't big enough. You ended up playing bloody Obertan far too much. 
and surely the players are going to be deflated from that as well because they'll be looking at the club going, we've not improved on anything here. We've not bought anyone. What are we doing here? And you probably think as players at the club at the time, do I really want to be here? I thought we were starting to go and do something and go somewhere and it just seems like there's absolutely no ambition to do anything with it whatsoever. So surely that's going to deflate the players and they're going to not want to be there and play there any longer. They're already looking to go to different clubs, for me. That's, yeah, it's like... That's a, it's I was just going to say, it's like one step forward, ten steps back, Gary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the whole squad, surely, I think, and, well, this isn't where this isn't where we're hoping to go. What's the point? Get me to another club. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Um, I ask this to every person that we've had on so far, is who's the, the, the best player you've ever seen at Newcastle? And a lot of people say Alan Shearer, and it's not a bad answer. But if it is Alan yeah. Shearer, is there anybody else that stood out, that stood out in, in your mind? Well, for me, Andy Cole. I mean, at Shearer was unbelievable, of course he was, and he won the title with Blackburn and then came to us, and he was a great player, but just strike rate. I mean, Andy Cole, you put him, any, in any game he played, it, it seemed he scored two or three every single time. For me, he was the greatest striker we had at the time and, and lost. We should never have lost Andy Cole. If we'd have kept him, I mean, look what he went and done at Man U. He still, he still proved how great a player he was, and the partnership he had with Dwight York, even at Man U, it was just unbelievable. So it was a shame we lost him. Obviously, we got big Les Ferdinand, and he was, a, he was a great striker for us um, as well. Oh, yeah. But Andy Cole for me has always got a, I've got a soft spot for him. I thought he was absolutely amazing. Like, yeah, well, there's a little French theme on one of the questions. Um, out of Robert, Genola, Ben Arthur, or Saint Maximum, on that say either left or well, majority would probably say left hand side. Who would you yeah. choose out of those out of those four? You can only choose one. It's a t- it's a tough one. I mean, I love Maximum at the minute, and it's obviously quite current in my in my minds. But um, it's it's really tough because in different eras with different teams as well. I mean, you had Ginola when we were flying, and Robert when we were still doing well under Bobby Robson as well. So it's hard. I'm going to mention a little unsung hero who I loved, Olivier Bernard. And I know he was really? a left back. He, yeah. he could have easily been a winger for me, and I thought he was unbelievable. Like I loved Bernard. Um, but I, I guess out of all them, I'm going to say Maximum at the minute. I think he's just got that ultimate flair. I think he's capable of being a really, really good player. He's one of them players you can imagine playing for someone like Barcelona. He's that. He's that. He looks that good. Obviously, he needs a bit more experience, and I think he, he, he will. He will have that in the next couple of years to the point where we really need to hope we hang on to him because we don't want another player like that slipping. I mean, Ben Arthur was unbelievable. We should never have got rid of him either. And we don't want another one like that as well. So I hope, I hope, I really hope we just hang on to him and improve the squad as best we can. I think for you, Sam, I would imagine it would be Janola or Robert. But for me, it'd be Ben Arthur. I'm similar to Gary. I, like, I can remember when Ben Arthur got the ball, you, you kind of almost going off the edge of your seat and thought, he's going to do something. And I always remember yeah. that, that run yeah. against Benfica. And if he had scored that goal against Benfica, oh. I. I think, do you know what it is? I'm going to put it out there. I think Newcastle could have won that Europa League, but I also think we would have been probably the first team to win the Europa League and get relegated because I generally think that would have happened if we had played all yeah, games in that competition. Yeah, he would have like done, Max wouldn't he? He's the only player who can win it for you at the moment. He's such a good player. Who would you pick, Sam? Yeah, a lot of similarities between Ben Arthur and St. Maximin. Um As I've said on, on NFTV before, that if this takeover doesn't go through and St. Maximin finds consistent end product with going, God help it, because we won't be keeping him if that's the case. Um, I used to love the little relationship um, Bernard and Robert had on the left-hand side. 
Yeah. Bernard, Bernard got left in the pit so often because Robert never tracked back. But yeah, with Robert, it doesn't matter where he was on the pitch. You always had a chance because he, he had a rocket of a left foot, didn't he? So he could oh, ping him in. You, had a free kick, you thought it was a goal straight away if you had a free kick. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable, free kick goal Unbelievable, yeah. I think uh, as well, Gary, the FA Cup has been a big talking point this season. Obviously, Newcastle got to the yeah. quarterfinals for the first time in a long time. Um, did you enjoy the run and were you a bit annoyed at how it ended up? Because I think a full St. James's Park, it doesn't guarantee a result, but it certainly helps if, you, if all the fans are singing in the right direction. I was really pleased. Again, goal credit to Steve Bruce. I was really pleased we were having a good crack at the cup for a change. We were really having a good stab at it. But I was, at the same time, bitterly disappointed when I seen the way we were set up to play in the first half against City. It was absolutely abysmal. I mean, to, to go out and it was, it was almost like saying, we'll just go back to the way Rafa sort of played. I mean, I was a fan of Rafa, don't get us wrong, but we sort of we had 11 men behind the ball for the first half and the percentages were just embarrassing. I think we had 10 or 15% of possession in the first half. And there was just no chance of even making a game of it. As soon as he changed it slightly for the second half, we'd come out and had a bit of a goal. We almost went 1-1 if Gale hadn't missed a sitter. And all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. the game would have been completely different. And just it was the first half ruined that whole, that whole cup run um, against City because we should have come out, not saying we should go obviously hell for leather and have a good go at them, but don't have 11 people banging the ball against City. It, it's pointless. Yeah, just come out he went for it back last night. It didn't go well. Yeah, just a bit of a goal would have been, you know, you, you can't sort of, you can't win like that. You can't just last 90 minutes having 11 men behind the ball against a team like City. You're going to get found out. So yeah. it was just a shame. Yeah, that, and I think, he, in all honesty, I think Steve's probably learned from that. And I didn't see the game, uh, the 5-0, but did we come out sort of playing that way like we did in the second half against them? Yes, it was. Today, or was it more the same again? Or? It was. It was tough. I'll be honest with you, Gary. It was a tough watch last night because there were obviously a lot of fringe players playing, and obviously we, we didn't have same maximum. Almiron was an unused sub, yeah. which I think he was. I think he wasn't fit anyway. Jamal Lascelles <laughs> was injured as well. We had Joe Linton right. and Shelby was just off Joe Linton up, up front yesterday. And Sam, yeah. if, we, if we have to talk about this game, we'll talk about it. But how how bad was it last night? Because. There was a lot of neg- negative comments about the performance of Nabil Bentaleb and the back four. Yeah, I, it was tough, wasn't it? I got stuck into Nabil Bentaleb on scoring the players last night. Um, I never want to see Castle Shield ever again, put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, blimey. He went four at the back. I mean, I, I can... I I thought Bruce was right in going five at the back for the FA Cup, but it's the way you go five at the back. Yeah, There's, you can go five at the back and still not have eleven men behind the ball. Um, exactly. But obviously, we saw what happened last night when he went four at the back, and just everyone looked so exposed. And the players that were on the pitch massively, massively let Bruce down. And um, but there still was a couple of questionable selections. I mean, sharing midfield doesn't work. Craft at centre back doesn't work. It's all right playing Craft at centre back against Rochdale. But not against one of the best teams in the world. Things are going to go wrong, and they did. And like you said before, Johnny five five nil flattered us, not them. Yeah, it was it was to tough, me, Gary. To me, Sorry, it to sort of give the it, it seems to sort of give the impression that he almost he almost gave up on that game before he even started. The way the way he sort of lined the team up, putting people in different positions, probably just to try a few things as well, you know. And you think, well, 
that's all well and good, but how are you playing Man City here? Like, you can't try too many different things. It's almost as if you, you just took it as a game that didn't really mean anything and you were expecting to lose, and I don't really like that kind of attitude, if that's the case, you know? It's, it's a funny one. It's difficult, isn't it? And I think one, one thing that I would like to touch on, and it, it kind of relates to, you know, Nabil Bentlev, for example, was given more or less 90 minutes yesterday. And the, the contract situation with Matty Longstaff, Gary, is a, play, is a player, a young lad from uh, from North Shields who wants to play for Newcastle. Obviously, there's dis- dispute between the, the club and the player in terms of a new contract. But surely, yeah. if when Newcastle are safe, give the lad four games in a row. Haven's out for the rest of the season. Ben Leber's playing poor. Would you stop Matty Longstaff in every single yeah, game until de- now to definitely. the end of the season? Because we're in a funny position now where we've got, almost got nothing to play for, you know, so... Which is, you know, like I was just saying there about the City game, you don't want to kind of give up. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it is it is the time of the season now, I think, to try a few things. Get Matty playing, get him on for a few games. There's only four four games left, isn't there? So, yeah, yeah play these players. We've got nothing to lose. We've, we've got nothing to gain, neither. I know there's that little bit of money difference at the higher up you, you finish in the table. But this is the time to try and try the things that he, that Steve's maybe thought about all, all season. You know, playing players in certain positions or playing certain players. Do it now. This is the time for me. We've got four games left, Gary. Watford away on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. We've got Spurs at home, Brighton away, and then Liverpool at home in the final day. We've got the champions on the, uh, the final day at St. James. Yeah. I think that might be a long afternoon as well. How many points realistically do you think Newcastle can get from now at the end of the season? Um, well, I fancy, I fancy we can do the job on Watford. I think that's that defeat the City is going to give us a little bit of a kick up the arse so uh, when we've been playing okay you know we've had a couple of wins and a couple of draws I think haven't we so I think we're going to, I think we're going to beat Watford um, the Tottenham game I fancy a draw out the Tottenham game I think they're they're struggling a bit as well I don't I don't think we'll we'll win but I fancy a draw out with that one and I think we'll get hammered off the champions on the last day but it'll be a good it'll be a good game that, that it's nice to play the champions I suppose at home on the last game of the season and we might put up a good performance. We've done that before, haven't we? I think, was it last season or the season before? Yeah, last played season. Tottenham. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we annihilated them. It was the last game of the season when we seemed really up for it. So, I think we can get maybe six or seven points out of the last four games if we're lucky. So, and if we do that, we've got a chance of finishing, you know, 11th, 12th, something like that. So, that'll be a decent season. And Steve, Steve's done really, really well. He needs a yeah. chance to stay, if, if whatever happens for me. Um see how it goes and then if it doesn't pan out then get rid get somebody else in get Pochettino in <laughs> Aye, well, yeah. yeah we'll just have to wait and see don't we take over talk again <laughs> <laughs> six or seven points Sam do you agree with Gary uh, I'm not quite as optimistic I think we've got a horrendous record down at, at Watford um, if I know they're not playing well them, but it's not a time of year where you want to be playing in a team that's fine for their life. So I'm not confident for three points Saturday. I'm actually I'm confident of three points against Spurs at home. Um, at, um, well, we should be picking up a point or three in that because Mourinho still has never won a game at St. James' Park. Um, Brighton away, nick a point, and then... <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, that, all I can say is thank God we don't have to, we're not in the relegation ship and we're, we've got to go into the last game of the season at home to Liverpool needing anything from it because after all what was going on at the start of the season you look at that picture list yeah you see Liverpool at home 
last day of the season, you just got your head in your hand thinking we're in trouble here. But fortunately, everything's worked out all right. So, five points possibly. I knew you were going to be slightly pessimistic. I knew it. <laughs> you called me optimistic the other day. I know, and I'm surprised. I don't know what I was thinking about. <laughs> no, you're always optimistic with predictions, like with like match scores. But I don't know. I I, I think maybe six points. I think we can definitely get a win against Tottenham. I think they. I just watched them play yeah. against Bournemouth, and they were nothing special at all. Like struggling now on this. Yeah, uh, Not even this match of the team that they were at the minute. No, for sure, for sure. But it's one of those things. Right, last question, Gary. Before uh, we wrap up, play of the season. Mm-hmm. Who who's who? Who deserves that award? Yeah, Saint Maximin all day long. He's just he's he's a star player. He's the only player you, you you watch and you think you're you're just far different than any other player we've got. He, he's the he's the game changer. If he's the only player that can make a real difference in in our team at the moment. So, like I say, I just I really hope he stays and I hope we'll hang on to him. Well, I hope so as well. I, I hope that Newcastle can get that T word over the line. And hopefully we might get to see some European performances, maybe against Barcelona. That'll be all right in the future, to say the least. Yeah, if you can give this Definitely. video a big like, that is that'll be really appreciated. If you can subscribe to Newcastle Fans Team and to NFTV Extra, that'll be very much appreciated as well. A big thanks to Sam Mullen for helping him the controls, but it's been an absolute pleasure, Gary. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, talking about your career and Newcastle. It's like the perfect combination super in football anyway. So uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Hi, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's nice to talk about football as well as snooker as well. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. No problem. Then the very best of luck with you in the qualifying tournaments to get in the Crucible. Hopefully, we'll see you uh, at the Crucible in a few weeks' time. And hopefully, we'll maybe get that trophy around St. James's Park and do a little parade first game back with all the fans. And yeah, for sure. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, get a bit of silver at Newcastle, to say the least. Again, thank you very much for watching and commenting throughout the whole stream. And we'll see you at the next episode of the Green and Milner Show very, very soon.